Welcome to Engaging History. My name is Christopher Kinsella, author of Chain of Deception. I'm a professor of history at Cuyahoga Community College in Northeast Ohio. My podcasts are not endorsed by any individual or organization. This podcast is my opinion and interpretation of the historical events that I will discuss. The purpose of the podcasts are in general to discuss American and world history in a way that engages you and explains so much of the country and the world around you. But I also discuss it in a way that is understandable and interesting. Welcome back. We continue with our 45th episode in our series on American History 2, or the second half of American History. In the 44th podcast, it was on its own kind of a standalone podcast, as was the one prior. This one regarding, of course, the Kennedy assassination in terms of the chain of events, my experience with that, and why the reasons specifically why we still are constantly hearing about that in the news. In fact, just since I recorded that last podcast less than a week ago, some more documents have been now declassified regarding that. And I'm not one of these, as, as interested as I am in the presidency and assassinations, I'm not one of these that you know clamors to get the, the latest documents in order to uh, get the latest information. I really would rather them analyzed by government uh individuals who would have the ability to shed some light on the documents that have been revealed and other historians before I actually take a look at them myself. So, But as we move on now to the 45th podcast, we're getting in now to the 36th administration or the 36th presidency, I should say, in this case of Lyndon Baines Johnson of Texas. First off, to say that he was not well-liked by the JFK administration truly is an understatement. Lyndon Johnson and Jack Kennedy, especially his brother, Bobby Kennedy, I don't like using the word hate. I, I really just despise using that word, but I'm telling you, it's pretty darn close. And in, in, admittedly, there's reason for anger and bitterness on from both families towards one another. I get that. But just putting that out there, that they were not well liked when Johnson was vice president and uh, Jack Kennedy was president. If there was any attempt any attempt of reconciliation at all after the assassination and the confirmed death of our 35th president, John F. Kennedy, that truly would be erased completely at roughly two in the morning when Lyndon Baines Johnson took the oath of office on Air Force Two that would then be redesignated Air Force One as a result of people confirming that they have witnessed Lyndon Johnson, Vice President of the United States, taking the oath of office as now President of the United States, making him the 36th President. If you wish to uh, pause the podcast to take a look at it, all you would need to type into your search engine of choice is Lyndon Baines Johnson or LBJ taking the oath of office. Your average search engine will fill in those words for you. It's a commonly requested series of pictures. And the one that stands out and generally will be the first one when you click on images is the picture with Lyndon Johnson with his right hand up, taking the oath of office from to date, the only female judge to ever administer the oath to a president of the United States. But it's not so much that 
is the fact that if you look to the president's left or to the right as you're looking at the picture, of course, you see Jackie Kennedy with a relatively placid or neutral look on her face. Please know Jackie Kennedy wanted no part of that scene. She did not want to be there. The entire uh, trip from Texas back to Washington, D.C., other than standing in for the oath, which did not have to be taken on the plane at that time, but Lyndon Johnson is all about and always has been about Lyndon Johnson. He likes being the first. He likes the attention. Please note, I have a lot of respect for Lyndon Johnson as president, actually as vice president too, and when he was in Congress before that. As a person though, man to man, I probably could not find more disdain for the individual. This is a guy that was beyond the rough and tumble, doing things that were absolutely unforgivable, such as lifting his beagles, his uh, dogs, the beagles with the big ears, lifting them by their ears on television with both uh, popping their eardrums and thinking that it's fun, funny, jumping on the back of the limousine that Kennedy was assassinated in, denting the limousine, which meant that they had to replace the trunk, getting served steak on Air Force One at a later date when the steak inside apparently was a little bit pink. And then Lyndon Johnson saw somebody else eating steak that wasn't well done. Well, Lyndon Johnson always liked his meat cooked all the way through. And he picked up both plates, went into the kitchen of Air Force One and threw the plates on the floor and said that he never better, he better never again see any meat on his uh, plane or in the White House or in his house that wasn't cooked all the way through. It's just, it's nothing but unnecessary ego trips. This picture, just as he is becoming president, is the ultimate of his ego trips by having Jackie Kennedy wrenching her away from the plane. And please know you can see the plane, tail number 26,000. I have been on that plane. You can see that plane and every plane that has ever been officially used as the moniker Air Force One, which are which is in the uh, Dayton Air Force Museum in Dayton, Ohio. The reason we know that that event didn't have to take that place that way, that we know also that Jackie Kennedy fought uh, viciously not to leave the casket of her husband, other than standing in for that photo, Jackie Kennedy was in the back of the plane holding her husband's casket the entire flight. The reason we know about these detailed details revealed decades later was because of one of his right, Lyndon Johnson's right-hand assistant, a man by the name of Jack Valenti, who died in 2007 and before his death revealed a lot of these uh, details, again, that, as I say, prior to that were not commonly known. Jack Valenti can be seen in the photograph. Again, if you take a look at it, you see Lyndon Johnson holding up his right hand. To his very right is Lady Bird Johnson. To her right is a man in a tuxedo. To that man's right, you see basically just a face of somebody that was crouching down, but that individual is looking right at the camera. That's Jack Valenti.
So just to put it out there in terms of the inauguration or the taking of the oath of the as the 36th president of the United States, we are now in the Lyndon Baines Johnson administration, and he immediately does carry on some of the mantles, some of the torches that were passed on from the Kennedy administration. Again, if there was anything that the two men had in common, other than being both men, they were both Democrats. So Lyndon Johnson continued that war on poverty and the promotion of civil rights. He took and established telephone service to as many rural places around the country as possible. As he said, the prominent Democrat before Johnson, that being Franklin Roosevelt, who tried to bring electricity to rural areas around the United States, Johnson was now trying to also establish phone service as well. Public health services that were also going to be offered in the Johnson administration, making those uh, guaranteed rights moving forward. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But the results of Johnson's war on poverty is despite the fact of the way that he was criticized for a variety of reasons, some justified, the numbers bear out. And according to the U.S. Census Bureau, reviewed in 2021, is that in the Johnson administration, by the time he left office on January 20th, 1969, the percent of Americans living below the poverty line went from 19% in 1964 to 11.6 when he left office. If you factor in the social welfare programs, such as food stamps and housing subsidies, the number drops even further to 7.8%. Those numbers can be verified if one wishes to look up the archives of the Wall Street Journal to look at the bookshelf review and editorial done on April 17th, 2023. Johnson, again, is not long in the White House, specifically in the Oval Office, before, of course, he is going to have to consider whether he's going to run for his own full term or not. It took Johnson probably all of about three milliseconds to conclude that he definitely will be running for his first independent full term with the election of 1964. So the contenders, besides Democrats uh, renominating Lyndon Johnson, the Republicans would then nominate Arizona Senator Barry Goldwater, who would receive the, the Republican nod, both men running against one another until the until election day in November of 64, Johnson, needless to say, would win that election despite the repulsive, arguably one of the most repulsive political ads that any sitting president or presidential contender ever ran on the air of te for television. Again, if you wish to pause the podcast and look up in your search engine, Daisy Girl Ad or LBJ space Daisy, common spelling D-A-I-S-Y space girl, common spelling G-I-R-L, and look up that roughly one minute video clip. So repulsive to watch this innocent young girl running through an empty field, stops and picks up a sunflower and counts the petals on the sunflower and once she gets to the number 10, the countdown begins and look closely at the girl's retina, not just her eyes, but her retina. And once she gets to 10, 
the numbers then go backwards in a countdown towards nuclear war, where then you hear Lyndon Johnson's voice telling the listeners and viewers that we cannot let that happen, that we would, ready for these words, we must love one another and goes on with that ad. It was so repulsive, it was only aired once, and the, the negative ramifications of that were so overwhelming that there was a moment when they thought Johnson could lose to Barry Goldwater. So we did win, of course, in 1964, takes the oath of office January 20th, 1965. He gets to work again by putting some teeth in those public health services that were offered by passing what became known as the Medical Care Act with Medicare for the elderly and then Medicaid for the destitute, for the poor in American society. He also ramps up the efforts for civil rights issues as well, with civil rights issues being revisited specifically, now again trying to put teeth into the Supreme Court decision passed back in 1954 in the Eisenhower administration of Brown versus the Board of Education. A quick review on that, and the reason why I did not cover it in the Eisenhower administration is because, yes, it passed, but very little was done immediately following. That would come to a head in the 1960s, and that's the reason why I'm focusing on it now. Brown versus the Board of Education, again, a quick recap on that. What it did is it reversed the prior Supreme Court decision of Plessy versus Ferguson, passed in 1896, that stated that separate but equal is constitutionally admissible. On its surface, right at the, the top, clearly that that's an oxymoron, separate but equal. And Brown versus the Board of Education overturned Plessy in stating that separate but equal is inherently not equal. Likewise, though, this was once again a change on paper, but not necessarily in mindset. And I recommend, once again, another pause to the podcast and look up the picture of the Little Rock Nine. And specifically, look up a picture with Elizabeth, common spelling, Eckford, E-C-K-F-O-R-D, Eckford, with Hazel Massery, H-A-Z-E-L, then her last name, M-A-S-S-E-R-Y. And look at that picture of Hazel screaming at Elizabeth Eckford. Listeners, as you look at this, if you can pull it maybe perhaps on a separate search engine and hear me briefly discuss this photograph, if you look to Elizabeth, the black woman with the darker glasses holding what looks to be a folder or a binder in her arms, look to her right and you see two white women looking at her with indifference. Look to, the, look to Elizabeth's left and you see a white woman almost finding something humorous in this exchange. But then turn your eyes and focus on 
Hazel walking up directly behind Elizabeth. Look at that face of Hazel, the contorted, angry face with the mouth wide open screaming. Please know, not only in my podcasts, but especially in my classes, I never speak and point things out in an effort to justify, to explain, to exonerate, to blame. That's not my place. And I'm not trying to explain away what Hazel was doing, the way she was screaming at Elizabeth. And please know later on, these women would reconcile briefly, and then there would be a falling out once again. But this is an ongoing between these two women here. But what I'm trying to get at is these are high school students. And what I'm trying to folk to trying to get to here is I'm not saying that a teenager can't experience a lot of tumultuous events in life. Hands down, they can. But that kind of anger that one sees in Hazel, as I ask my students, what, what might be going on there? Has that young woman experienced enough vile things in her life to warrant that kind of discrimination, that kind of reaction? Or might something else be at play here? And occasionally, and it usually is one of my returning adult students will raise their hand and say, yeah, I see what you're getting at. Then in other words, it might not be Hazel so much as those thoughts, that hatred coming from within her, but coming through her from what she hears, hears and experiences at home with a racist, perhaps mom or dad or uncle or aunt or all combined. We don't know. Again, I'm not looking to exonerate Hazel and I'm not looking to blame her parents or her family. Again, it's not my place, but they are living in the South. And clearly this is what this teenager has been exposed to most likely since birth. And it is coming out now in her teenage years. So again, just something to consider. This is what Lyndon Johnson is hoping to try to eliminate, which again, as we know, is not going to happen in his term, but he is making that effort. Public segregation at this time as well. We also hear about on that event of December 1st, 1955, when Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat. Here we are, almost 10 years later, and the situation largely still hasn't changed. Please note Rosa Parks bus, that actual bus I have been on, you can see it and you can actually go in that bus. It is at the Henry Ford Museum in Michigan. In Before the Kennedy assassination, there was the March on Washington with Martin Luther King delivering his I Have a Dream speech, where again, please note that he was calling for and supported any nonviolent protests, sit-ins, sit-downs, not violent protests. The promise of 1776, with Plessy versus Ferguson being overturned, the promise of 1776 was now back on the agenda and Lyndon Johnson was going to do everything he could to see it through, as he did with the orchestrating the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which outlawed any segregation 
based on race as well as gender. Gender, please note that the male-female inequality that is also uh, simmering and seething here during the 1960s, which we will also address in a future podcast episode, in order to, again, regulate and to be sure and to monitor that segregation based on race or gender was not being practiced by private and public institutions, Johnson formed the Equal Opportunity Commission, where workers in this commission will routinely dress in different different ways in order to blend in with the people when there are allegations that a particular business might be stereotyping and segregating people based on race and or gender. And this is a commission that is still in effect through to 2023 and going strong. Also, too, with the Voting Rights Act of 1965, he would outlaw any type of reading test and or poll tax in order that would eliminate somebody from being able to vote, again, regardless of gender and or race. So as we Again, trying to more or less encapsulate here what the Johnson administration was able to accomplish, that truly, despite my disdain for the man as a man, again, as I said earlier, that effect that I do have respect for him as a politician, had it not been for the Vietnam War, Johnson could have gone down in history, consistently ranked in the top five presidents, yet from not long after he left office through to modern times, Johnson has always been ranked anywhere between 10 and 18. The Vietnam War would be the albatross around his neck. It would be the anchor that would not only pull his rankings down decades later, but would be the very event that would wipe out his ability to run for a second term which he had the ability to do, even with the passage of the 22nd Amendment that limits a president to two, two, uh, excuse me, to two terms. Because he was through the halfway point of Kennedy's first and only term, Johnson could run for a second full term. Vietnam would eliminate that possibility. And that's where I'll end this podcast, because in the next podcast, I'm going to begin exclusive coverage and discuss the Vietnam War. The reason I'm doing this is because Vietnam will and did affect every president from Harry Truman all the way through to Gerald Ford. The legacy of Vietnam would then carry on beyond, well beyond the 1970s, as I will explain. So it's not as though that I've been ignoring the Vietnam conflict and the way it has been going on. By the time Johnson is is going into his second term in 1965, the Vietnam War is raging. When he leaves office in January of 1969, it's still raging. But rather than try to pepper each podcast with updates of the Vietnam War, I wanted again to encapsulate that into one, possibly two podcast episodes to discuss that from the Truman administration all the way through to the Gerald Ford administration. So again, if, if you're not interested in that or you roll your eyes and you've heard enough about Vietnam, whatever it might have been, 
Again, I will title and have a brief description of those podcasts to know that that is what I'm discussing. So that again, if you wish to just simply move on beyond Vietnam, then I will eventually get to recording those podcasts where I'll pick up with the Nixon administration who takes the oath of office on January 20th, 1969 as America's 37th president of the United States. So thank you for listening. If you have any questions, please go to my website, ceconsola.com and email me as well as any comments or book recommendations as well. And if you like what we discussed today, please leave me a review as well on the platform in which you're listening. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day. 